Hello and welcome to Mobile Interactions Now, the podcast where industry pros share first-hand experiences on making mobile interactions work. I'm Chris and I'm part of the team here at Tintech. On today's episode, we have the conclusion of our conversation with Dan Miller. So here is part two of our conversation with Dan. Take it away, Gene. In our previous episode, we, we touched on the history and how different technology coming together um, to make self-service work. Um, you know, no matter what the company and business um, uh, it happens to be. And now I, I would love to do a little deeper dive um, into what we are beginning to call conversational commerce. I don't know if it's your standard um, language already, but it, it is still, uh, for, you know, that raises eyebrows a little bit um, in terms of what, what are you really talking about? So <laughs> I would love to have some like basic understanding and then just we quickly get a little deeper and kind of, a, you know, go into what it really takes, looking at the yeah. guts as well as possible. So help me with the definition first sure. what is so this there, conversational commerce sure and and then please understand that that there's there's two schools of thought on this and and one sort of chases back to to what i what i at opus was doing back in 2011 uh when we held the first conversational commerce conference to, to bring together um martech and sales tech is what i guess you would call it now but but this idea that um, we wanted to look at technologies that improve conversations that can be person to person, um, they can be person to machine, and that's sort of where we focus, where um, speech enabling IVRs at the time was a big deal, <laughs> but somehow bringing natural language understanding and machine learning to improve people's ability to use their own words to you know, take over the resources that were either um, helping them buy stuff or helping them get support for stuff. And then the other thing were conversations that were machine to machine because they would get rid of the latencies in those, in those um, automated conversations. They would also simplify you know, bringing dynamic information in for the automated bot, if you will, to do stuff. Um, right around 2016, uh, Chris Messina started writing about conversational commerce, specifically about the power of messaging platforms and the messaging model um, for uh, for person-to-person communication and person-to-machine communication, um, uh, just to just as a more efficient conversation. And what, what it brought in was, you know, here, here's a user interface that um, people just totally get. <laughs> and it's asynchronous. Um, it lets them use their own language. There's not a, you know, there, there's the expectation level is, you know, I, I can leave a message on, on a machine. It could get answered by a bot. It could get answered by a person. Um, it was it was primarily in text, but you know I've talked to Chris about this. That that wasn't how you know it. Everybody saw that the you know the the WhatsApps of the world were so much more than a messaging platform. You <laughs> know, for some people, you you just it's the first thing you look at when you wake up, and and everything lives in there. Your payments are associated with it. So the the idea of having this conversational platform 
a messaging platform, uh, be soup to nuts, you know, where you, where you get your information about the products, where you consult with friends about them, uh, where you can consummate a deal. There's nothing more powerful than that. And, and I think our two visions are, are, they just dovetail really nicely. But I think that the, you know, the machine learning and all this stuff that improves uh, machines ability to understand what we say is vital. And I think that the idea that people are getting accustomed to using quote conversational platforms unquote um, to, you know, accomplish their goals um, is evolving nicely together. It, not as much these days, because um, I think we have some uh, global scale examples, but I remember a few years ago when, uh, when we are having this conversation about things that is happening on messaging platform, I was open, you know, often told to look at Asia, for example. Right. Look, look at what you know, people are doing on WeChat, look at how mm. you know, Koreans are doing in Kakao Talk and, yeah. and, and, and things in that nature. Now, do you see that uh, globalizing more? Is it, or are they still um, way um, ahead of that curve? What do you see there on, on you know, country, continent to continent <laughs> kind of yeah. comparison? Um, so with great disappointment, the, uh, the Eastern model has not permeated here in, in North America. Um, and, and Western Europe still remains something of a, a mystery to me. Um, but uh, I, I don't know whether it, it's in months or years, um, um, we'll, we'll move to something that looks more like um, a, a messaging platform model, but uh, you know, I mean, I have so many, uh, we're not gonna be on the air, but I have so many apps on, on my phone um, I, I'm like, as a, as a sample of one, <laughs> it's going to take a long time for me to get to a, to a state where um, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm treating a single um, platform as, as my only source of, of information. So there, there's still a lot of fragmentation here. Um, I think there should be a lot more backlash <laughs> Um, against it. I mean, I, I wrote a thing about, um, you know, what we're learning even in the smart speaker world where, you know, there, there's developers around Alexa, there's developers around Google Assistant, and now there's Samsung, uh, each having different platforms for building essentially the same thing, which means that we, you know, dev world or whatever um, wanted, you know, we either have to think about, oh, how do I develop my app once and have it rendered many times, which is, you know, the, the iOS versus uh, Android thing all over again, but, uh, you know, but totally parsed up. So, I, so I've, I've given a really long-winded answer to say that what we have right now can't hold and some element of bringing it into one or two or three <laughs> is, is what we're closer to. Um, and the ideal of one, you know, the, the, the one true conversational platform um, is, is highly unlikely to go global, but, but, you know, there will be, you know, whether, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of planning going into what Facebook is doing around Facebook Messenger that, um, you know, that would 
ideally have you spend your whole time in, in Messenger just as, you know, WeChat, WhatsApp, which is them too. <laughs> I mean, you know, there, there, there is a world where you do spend a lot of time in one platform, but there's, then there's the world we live in. <laughs> And you're sort of justifying some of the uh, hefty uh, amount of money being paid to some of the messaging platforms. And, and I think that that is just uh, interesting to see. I, I, I remember seeing one of your reports, I think it's called uh, Decision Maker's Guide to Enterprise Intelligent Assistance. And, and I remember seeing some of the uh, verticals that we talked about in our previous um, session that there are, you know, definitely some of the industries um, are, you know, have been playing with this longer. But I was just wondering when you when you look at cross sectors, um, are there just common use case or kind of a user scenario where, um, without even looking at their first party data, how much are we spending on this? Um, you know, how, how, how repetitive is task for us without really getting it because um, believe it or not, I don't know about you, but uh, a lot of customers um, uh, that we have um, enterprise side, sometimes they have a problem with the siloed data. So some of these yeah. data, data is just not a given. So if you were to kind of look at this from, um, you know, these are some of the horizontal cases where it really mm -hmm. makes sense that, that people have play with it out there that you really look into it, start look, you know, looking into utilizing some of these technologies. Any, any thoughts on that? We're obviously in a point of transition. Um, I used to write reports and say, oh, X, is a silo buster. <laughs> Usually something around, you know, customer care or something in the in the contact center. Um, I, I I think more accurately what we're finding with um, the implementation of chatbots or intelligent assistants, they they start in the contact center, and meaning that. Um, that what we initially looked at in our decision makers guide was was like a short list of technology providers that were bringing uh, intelligent assistance into customer support in the contact center. And to your point about, um, you know, it, they tended to appeal to that short list of industries, that usual suspects, and they um, did have and have built um, um, fairly large uh, list of common activities, you know, because, you know, the first step with bringing in a, a chatbot platform was to discover, you know, it's to ingest past conversations, discover what the most common calls were, um, match them to the right answers, as we mentioned before, and, and guess what, <laughs> you know, th those statistic, you know, it's the statistical model, you know what 80% of the calls are. I, I remember actually um, in the, um, I, I went to a vendor meeting with their, with their largest utility customers. And utilities, as opposed to like airlines or banks, um, 
tend to be territorial in nature. So they were very much sharing uh, their experience because they didn't regard each other as competitors. So they would, they would say things like, you know, I can handle 80% of my calls with in five categories. You know, somebody's moved and needs to initiate service. There's an outage and I need to handle that. Somebody has a billing problem. I'm not going to get to the five. <laughs> I don't want to waste our time. Um, and, and, and those were common across every single utility and they all knew it. And then they would talk about, oh, what did we do to handle that? And, and how did we answer it? Um, and, and the same thing happens, you know, in, in, well, obviously telecom is a form of utility and, you know, they have, they have the same sorts of things. So, so to answer your question, yes, um, there, there's a narrow band of horizontal problems, categories of calls. And there's um, best practices in identifying the best way to answer them. And we've had many years to compile those. So there are solution providers at Opus has studied that have built libraries um, of, of um, sort of right answers that they can bring. And bringing those to bear means that the nth company that comes along, you know, with, without sort of stealing data or anything from their competitors can benefit from the fact that we've all learned more over time and we can get up and running and more ac you know, and, and get good accurate answers um, pretty quickly. That kind of um, makes me wonder about the data part of it again, because mm -hmm. it, it really is about the sharing information of it. I mean, you can have, you come from tech background, you know, you're used to seeing MarTech, sales tech, support tech, there's the whole uh, different stacks. And mm -hmm. you could be working on that, but at the same time, as an end user, me on the other side, the mm -hmm. quality of the experience that, that, uh, that uh, whether I'm satisfied or not, oftentimes it, it really, uh, you know, depends on the data that was available. I mean, you, in our previous episode, you talked about somehow it was able to authenticate me. How did it do that? Okay. Yeah, after some basic coding and, and, and there are data that came to me. So, so for me, what I also start seeing is that there's that whole, the data I have as an enterprise, the first party data, and then there is data that could be third party data that just makes these things simpler. Mm -hmm. um, whether there's authentication happening on another place where, the, you know, now, now we all live in API enabled kind of a, a ecosystem in a way that, that if, if you have a way to put it together, so I'm, th this is a part of, I think, a bigger conversation because anytime the data is, is discussed, there are many nuances and, and yeah. many things to talk about. So let, let's talk about, let's say, you know, the, those stacks exist, those codes have uh, been written. Now in terms of the data, in order for us to really deliver the end user experience, because you know, a person yeah. like myself, I want this without knowing what it will take, right? So that the data it goes into, how do we think about, because the customer service um, scenario that you're describing is, is basically happening within my walls. You know, that I yeah. have those data. I, have, I know the customer previous uh, call-in um, incident and things like that. But in order for us to actually start going beyond that, talking about conversational commerce, 
um, being able to provide, you know, uh, although it comes in the new trend uh, color or something like that, in order for <laughs> us to contextualize all these things, yeah. you're going to need data that is not necessarily sitting on your CRM, right. for example. So how, how do well, we even think about this whole, what is required in terms of data? Yeah. Well, the other way to look at it is, is, is some of it's in the CRM, but it has to be combined with all the other stuff in order to uh, recognize you, match your intent with what you want to know. Um, and so the good news, is, so we also coined a term called conversational service automation. And we chose that very carefully because we're seeing trends in robotic process automation, um, in sort of data discovery and data management um, that are trying to answer the, the very specific question that, that you asked. <laughs> it's like, uh, um, where, where does this, and, and this, this is from time immemorial, <laughs> that, that somewhere there, companies have within their walls the quote 360 degree view of their customers. Um, and they do have, uh, connectors or APIs to their back office. Um, so, you know, theoretically you could have like this data lake <laughs> that, that, you know, some rendering of information or some connector to that information or pointers live so that in real time or near, near real time, it can be used to answer a question or inform an agent to answer a question because you know, some fairly high percentage of queries into the back office system are done by employees. <laughs> and, and a lot of the automation that we talk about helping self-service helps employees help themselves as well. So we're trying to crack this code. Um, there, there is a lot of progress. Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't characterize it as silo busting as much as recognizing that the silos themselves are porous <laughs> and there's a lot of points of ingress and egress uh, to, to existing data uh, in a company's knowledge management system, in the documentation for both, <laughs> that could be employee manuals, <laughs> it could be product uh, catalogs, all that sort of thing. More and more of that is machine readable and you have technologies, you know, from the, you know, something like an IBM Watson or Salesforce calls it Einstein. There, there's, there's a lot of uh, investment being made in, get this, conversational AI. <laughs> and conversational AI is applying sort of deep neural networking and other things in ways that will look at both structured and unstructured data, <clears throat> regardless of where it lives, and use it to inform bots. It's as simple as that, and it is taking place. So we are basically now into a conversational intelligence. And yes, <laughs> conversational intelligence and conversational service automation, and and they'll go hand in hand. And um, yeah, it, yeah. This this is a high bar because uh, sometimes I, I I cannot get that from human being either. <laughs> so. Yeah. That's, that's a really good point. <laughs> and we'll make it a topic of, of some future discussion is, is uh, do we have higher expectations for our, our, you know, our robotic helpers than we do for people? Um, and the answer is initially, uh, 
yeah, the expectation was a lot higher because people weren't going to tolerate, you know, having to repeat themselves so that, you know, a speech-enabled IVR could understand what they were saying, and yet they would do it for people. <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, our, our tastes are changing and, and, um, and, you know, the conversational models are changing uh, in, you know, in parallel with that. Yes, I, I can't wait to see the whole relationship uh, uh, shift uh, between human to human and human to machine and, and where we reveal ourselves more. And, and that, that will be another couch talk session. Yeah, and, exactly. and then it's an interesting time. Now, this, as soon as you get into this whole intelligent interactions um, that we're talking about, um, whether we have enough um, technical uh, capabilities or data, um, we have, but I think we have to say this before we go any further. Uh, do we want this? And, <laughs> and, yeah. and, and how to, because there is a philosophical question sometimes now and then Absolutely. when we start talking about technology. I don't want to get into a deep debate over this that would save yeah. that for another day. But yeah. what would be the clearest way to frame this um, when, when we do face this question? Well, you're asking a profound question about whether, um, you know, if, and hypothetically, <laughs> um, someone like me would you know, what, under what conditions do I want to share information about myself so that I will get better service from some automated helper? And we haven't framed it that way yet. So, um, you know, I'll give you a couple of examples. One, one of the, you know, as an analyst, um, I go to a lot of vendor um, events. And one of the vendors um, gave a group of like 40 analysts um, echoes um, back like three years ago. And then the following year, I mean, I, I, I took mine and, and set it up and, and you know, happily you know, tried using different things, trained it to do different stuff. Um, the next year I was asking the same group of analysts, you know, had they done anything interesting with their echo and more than 50% said, no, I would never activate one of those things in my house. You know, Amazon is listening in on everything we say, and I, I just don't want them to have that. And so, so there is awareness and lack of trust uh, between people uh, and technology providers. And um, so the barrier is how is a technology provider going to earn the trust of the individuals that, that um, they want to use their technology? And the answer is that, that you have to be ethical from the beginning and you have to prove that you're ethical. And that, that's a really high bar. You mentioned high bars. Um, uh, be, because, you know, not everybody um, is hoovering up, well, many companies and, and you know, you know it, it's sort of the Google syndrome. I, I use Google every day, um, but I am told that, you know, Google, I'm a product, you know, uh, 
for Google, that, that I'm one of those eyeballs or whatever that Google delivers to advertisers. Um, and they're, you know, they're advertiser driven and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, we just have to figure it out. I don't think that dev world is going to solve this problem, but I do want to counsel, um, you know, everybody developing a self-service chatbot or getting into digital self-service to keep, you know, ethics in mind and to have, you know, if not a high bar, high standards for how, in, you know, personal information is going to be used. Um, and, you know, we'll do the best we can. I can take that as a, as a wrap. And that, that I, I think it being just honest about that is the reality we face. I think sometimes it's a great starting point. So just before I let you go, um, I have a, a, a simple question um, that I ask all my guests at the end of the show. And, and here it is, are you ready to play? What are the three things you use the most on your phone? Okay, to be honest, I'm a radio guy. <laughs> so, so number one, time-wise, is, is listening to our local PBS station through its app. <laughs> there you go. Um, and then I'm, I'm a news junkie, and I, so I have like three different news readers, but my latest one that I like um, is Flipboard. Uh, which you may or may not have heard of, but, but and, and there's a voice services element to this because Mike McHugh, who's the founder of Flipboard was also the, uh, the CEO of Tell Me, which was one of the original voice browsing companies uh, back in the 90s. Uh, um, so, so that's that, that connection. And, and then I mentioned it already, third, uh, third has to be Google because um, it, it, it's intermittent but it's an extension of my brain. And, and you know, I'll be involved in conversations with people and they'll say, oh, I wonder whatever happened to X. <laughs> and I won't remember either. So you know, part of the collective memory are, you know, is captured somehow in Google searches. So them's the three, hope it's not boring. That is fun. Actually, you are my first guest whose um, you know, top three um, apps are not communications per se. It's about oh. information. This is this yeah. is very interesting. It's not about <laughs> emailing. It's not about any of this. I absolutely yeah. love it. Oh, so cool. I, well, I may be discounting how much I use, you know, Zoom or, or what, you know, because we, we're spending a lot of time on Zoom these days, aren't we? But I wouldn't call it an app. <laughs> there you go. I, I thank you again, Dan. That was absolute pleasure. Thank you yeah, very thank much. You thank you. Thank you again to Dan Miller for joining us. You can find out more about Dan and Opus Research at opusresearch.net. To find out more about Gene and Tentech, visit tentech.com. Make sure to search for Mobile Interactions Now in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or anywhere else podcasts are found, and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Tentech, thanks for listening. Thank you.